0: Hello, and welcome to Growing Trends. This is your host, Chris Coop, with Anne Miller. Today, we are interviewing Bill Sosinski, the founder of Energi University. We're also interviewing today, Dr. Rich Sapienza. Rich is an expert on solar power and all sorts of really cool technologies, as you're about to find out.
1: Uh, we're back. It's Chris and Ann with Growing Trends, and we're so glad to continue our conversation. Richard, I had a question for you. Um, yep. we were t- We've been talking about solar energy and being able to make it available on a small scale to individuals all over the world, globally. I like that that's the way we have to think. Um, do you see – I'm going to take a break a little bit from solar, which I know is your passion. Do you see something like uh, wind? being something that can be also be used on a small scale and the reason i asked that is i remember as a as a young girl uh, my mother grew up on a farm rural nebraska and their home was one of the few homes to have electricity one of the first homes to have electricity and it was all generated through a windmill you know in the backyard and
2: and that's exactly the, the the case i would have brought up we used to have Simple farm size windmills to raise water and generate power. And what's so interesting mm-hmm. about the fact that you can use a windmill to raise water is raising water, meaning that you're lifting it. When I say raise water, you're pulling it up from the ground. And typically it was for irrigation. But if you raise water up, you could run it down at night or when there's not a windy period of time. And mm-hmm. guess what? It's a storage medium. So. <laughs> I think small windmills again are good. I don't believe in large turbines uh you know i, I think it not that I'm worried about you know the the standard thing oh they're gonna kill birds and all of this kind of stuff, and yet they do kill birds, but that's not the reason. They're monster resources that have to be put up by monster corporations, and um, they have problems. They have big problems. They have to be maintained uh, in ways that people will have a hard time believing. So again, I believe that simple farm-sized windmills are are a great way to generate power back to my local community. If it's in an area that has a prevailing wind, why not use a windmill? (laughs) So uh, and and and, you know so so I think windmills are great little things. And so the answer is yes. Again, appropriate technology—that's what I call this. It used to be talk about it, but small solar-powered and wind-powered water wells um, I mean things like you know there's certain areas of the world where they use netting to collect fog for fresh waters um, other areas of the world right now where they've developed rice hole stoves and the way they work is you you don't burn the rice ho- holes, you pyrolyze them that means you you basically heat them with a limited amount of air that limited amount of air doesn't generate therefore as much CO2. You generate a gas which you can burn for heating, for cooking. So um, there's a fellow by who's a friend of mine named uh, uh, Paul Olivier that's in Vietnam right now and he's from the Louisiana area who's developing these rice hole stoves and he builds them for a price like 50 bucks. And these people then can go get rice hulls, which are free, dump them in the stove. Here's a little teeny fan on the thing, and it generates a beautiful gas that they can cook with. And these people Mm -hmm. used to cook with either sticks or worse than that. What people don't know is a lot of the world cooks with dung, dried dung. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, how horrible is that? So this is a way around that. This is a, a healthier way, and it's using their, their things. In 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 some of the countries that have big fog, people are using. And you're up in the mountains. They use uh, these nets to collect water. So again, it's a simple simple technology. Hmm. The water drips off the net, and they collect the water, and bingo, they have fresh water. Isn't that hmm. and it sounds weird to do that. But you can. You can harvest the fog. And I actually worked on developing better netting materials to collect fog. (laughs) And uh, part of it was... But yeah. Well, part of it was because when you when you uh, when you take a shower, um, this was this was the military was interested in, because when you take a shower, you use a tremendous there's a tremendous amount of steam developed in that right. room, and they were losing that water when they were in dry areas like Iraq and Afghanistan, so they needed right. a way of capturing as much of that water as possible before any of it got vented. So Mm -hmm. we developed we developed a fog collecting system for them, and it was like Mm -hmm. backwards technology. They were looking for some super sophisticated, uh, you know, chemical anhydride that would suck up all the water, and then you'd have to go and heat it to generate the water back. And we came Mm -hmm. up with a net (laughs) that
0: that needed
2: that needed nothing but to hang there.
3: (laughs) Awesome. That's that's funny. Also, a lot of those solutions. Right? I'm and sorry, a lot of those fresh. solutions are used naturally by a lot of yeah. the, uh, uh, I guess, less developed communities around the world. I just wanted to make yeah. one comment be- uh, on what you were saying, Rich. You know, we were talking about small uh, wind installations, and really a critical factor with any wind installation is not just the availability of wind, but how the actual installations are sited. I think a lot of people are starting to see more and more frequently those vertical access or those uh, wind turbines that resemble DNA, that you're starting to see those in cities, particularly like cities San Francisco, Chicago, has quite a few of those installations. And the real critical aspect of being able to utilize wind such that you're just not buying a very expensive kinetic piece of sculpture is that they have to be sited correctly. You have to find an area with as adequate wind to justify the installation, and then you have to be able to situate the the uh... turbine in a way where you're minimalizing turbulence but but maximizing a consistent flow of energy and the urban sure. environment is either very very good for that or your worst enemy when you have the natural mm-hmm. uh, wind patterns that flow down these urban canyons you tend to have quite a bit of turbulence so the ability and the knowledge of how to site your turbine on a building such that it has uninterrupted and directed flow of wind is critical to getting the type of uh production that you're looking for when you install those. And when you do that, wind turbines can be one of the best investments because they really do produce a lot of energy when properly sited. And in many times you have to vent them. Sometimes you have to put uh, baffling around them to get the wind to work properly. But when you do all those things correctly, you end up having a wonderful energy source.
1: Well, oh, wouldn't yeah, that and, be and interesting if your uh, telephone book had a listing of you know wind specialists like it has plumbers and electricians?
3: There are only a handful of people, I mean this, probably less than a half dozen in the United States who really know their stuff when it comes to that.
2: Most I people who it.
3: install these turbines, I've seen them there. It's, it's, it's shameful how some of these yeah. turbines are installed by some of the people who do them. They're selling a now, product, people are buying mm-hmm. them with the idea that they're going to get a great return, and it's almost a mm-hmm. complete waste of money. You really need to have the expertise to put them in properly.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I'm just the, curious: is that something that you even see being offered as training and teaching, and at a you know university level? Is that a is that, that a subject that can be learned?
3: And that's a, that Well, was that, that's one going, of the things that two, University will be teaching. Yeah, and, and, and I that's I just part of say, our, our entire process.
2: Okay. Right. Right. And that is, by the way, that is—it's not taught, but it, can it be taught? Yes. I mean, obviously, a man who knows how to hang glide knows how to read wind. Exactly. So, so there's 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 a way of getting that training in. And what Bill was talking about, what people, another place that people don't think of where small windmills could make a lot of sense is on tall buildings. Oh, so sure. So we have buildings all over New York City that are, you know. Nice and right height. Once you get above five stories, a windmill is pretty darn good up there because there's almost always some kind of prevailing wind at that kind of height. So, you know, in a city, a windmill may be a lot better than a solar uh, Mm -hmm. arrangement. So, I mean, again, and again, back to the small is beautiful. Don't ha- mm-hmm. don't take away everything for the whole building, but imagine if we could uh, run the emergency system so the elevator would run no matter what happened to the power, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Or it was, it was constantly being stored, the windmill, into some battery system that could back up the whole building. So, yeah, that's you know,
1: awesome. I, yeah,
2: and, yeah, and we're we talking about very good these toys. things, and they're all doable. They're all doable, yeah.
3: But mm-hmm. you make a good point with the storage, and maybe you want to address that. I mean, I contend with people, and I think we've talked about this on a number of occasions, that really the, the key to a lot of all of these solutions working is the ability to be able to store energy because storage solves half of the problems that we, that we have right now with our distribution mm-hmm. system because we have such variations in need. I mean, in the middle of the night, there may be not a lot of energy that's drawn out of the power plants. And Then maybe for an hour a day or two hours a day during the hottest time of the summer, you may have this extraordinary need for energy and all this additional capacity. And if we had storage available that was inexpensive and easy to install on a site-by-site basis, we could eliminate a tremendous amount of expensive distributing energy. I know that you've done a lot of work with that, Rich. You want to maybe elaborate on yeah, that a little bit? I, I, can talk,
2: I can talk about one thing we're, do, we're, we're doing with the company I'm in now with solar energy is we've developed and made large improvements to concrete storage of heat. And um, what people don't recognize or realize is that water is an excellent heat storage medium but if you want to get up to higher temperatures you really start to spend a lot of money on heat storage and the next best item uh, mostly because of its weight and whatnot turns out to be concrete Hmm. so concrete is an ideal heat storage medium so imagine you could develop concrete structural concrete that has heat storage capacities and ways of using that concrete to basically keep keep the building warm and even keep the building cool because the concrete could take away the heat as well as provide the heat, depending on what's flowed through it So, yeah. I mean these, these are all potential answers I'm, As you can probably guess from all of this you know I'm, I'm a very optimistic scientist I, I I believe that there can always be solutions There's choices we can make. There's solutions that are out there. So, you know, it's my personal opinion that the Earth's resources will never be depleted. And I think that technology advances will will kind of find more needed materials. Um, you know, we, we use sand to make um, sil- uh, PV cells, you know, silica cells and whatnot, but it's this very, very specialized sand. I think eventually mm-hmm. somebody will develop a way that literally any sand could be used, and that, that would be a big change. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, I believe that other materials we develop besides silica for um, solar cells. Uh, guided, I was it with Brookhaven National Laboratory who came in with me at the research address to national needs is working on such a thing uh he's working on uh, on a, a kind of a a stone type material that can that can be used it, it makes it transparent and all of a sudden it has characteristics that are interesting uh, yeah. it's a type of pervescarite. it's a uh, it, you know it's basically a mineral that can be made a lot easier than making these silica cells so there's all kinds of new developments going on that's what, I, that's what I say a science being a scientist to me is the greatest thing it's more fun than anything else more fun than being an athlete more fun than anything I mean athletes go five ten years if they're lucky okay here I am you know I've been I've been playing my game for 30 40 years now and I'm still having the greatest time in my life so, I mean, as I say, I'm really optimistic. I really believe science and technology has solutions and it's ignorance and poverty that create most of the world's problems. And I'm, that's not saying we have to put the, the choices in the hands of scientists. You know, I'm not saying that scientists will make the best choices all the time. But, you know, I, I think that answers can be found if people are directed in the right um, direction <laughs> doubled there. Um, you you can get to you know good solutions to practical and applied solutions. Uh, and you know one of my biggest disappointments, in fact, in most of the universities, at least in the United States, is they've they walked away from a lot of practical solutions they're looking mm-hmm. you know they, they they want the big gold star on their blackboard which was uh, because they published a thousand papers or whatever they did similar to that rather than solving one major problem and spending their time banging on that problem and using their brain in that direction so
0: yeah so Not, um, come- can I cut in here for a second and ask some, um, how can I put it, leading questions? Oh. oh, sure. Okay. So last time we mentioned a, a, um, a product that, well, no, it was a um, a material, wasn't it, that you went, oh, yes. Um, as I recall, it was called thorium. And I'm quite <laughs> sure that, yeah, I'm quite sure that, that that's one of those solutions, isn't it, for the world?
2: Yes, it is. It is, it is. And, you know, like we said, uh, you've just got the guys from uh, NSA to start listening to your show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that 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 thorium is the answer in the nuclear industry. It's the answer to the problems we have with uh, Iran and Korea. Just tell them, look, just build a thorium reactor because thorium, when used in a nuclear reactor, stops the ability to make nuclear weapons with the materials from the reactor so thorium is the quote safe or nuclear uh, way of uh, doing things again I'm not a giant fan of nuclear no matter what because uh, I don't I I think that um, the answers to the waste problem have to be delivered to me in a better way, and if thorium helps yeah. that then even more um, i I'll, I'll push toward it but uh, I've been a thorium fan, and thorium has been around by the way the thorium reactor has been around since nineteen fifty six you know so this is not new, but it's been kind of a little bit uh, suppressed in terms of uh, people uh, trying to use it so i'm hope i hope. I hope within my lifetime I see someone build a thorium reactor and I see the, the benefits of a thorium reactor.
3: I don't know if you would call it suppression, but where people are a little nervous, at least the uh, I guess the oil companies or the fossil fuel folks, is hydrogen development. I mean, we have virtually limitless amounts of hydrogen in, in, in our atmosphere and in our oceans. We have enough energy in the oceans, probably uh, enough hydrogen, to to power our planet for the next 20 billion years. I mean, there's really that much hydrogen. But uh, the idea has always been difficult to separate it from the oxygen molecules to be able to use it. And I think in terms of transportation, at least for road transportation, they're always concerned about the idea of people having accidents because hydrogen is so combustible and can cause Mm -hmm. tremendous explosions. So I know I've already said that the government I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: No, no, I, yeah see, see the, 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 the hydrogen is a trade-off. The science says you need a certain amount of energy, no matter what, to break apart the water molecule. And right. that amount of energy has got to be greater than the amount of energy you get back out of the hydrogen once you burn it. Because when you burn it or use it, no matter how you use it, you're going to make water again. So there's got to be a negative there. The positive is that hydrogen actually is... Not that dangerous a material. If you have a car accident and you had hydrogen in it, it would go up so fast that, I mean, up, not in a fire, I mean, the gas when it's released would up so quickly that it would shoot to the right. top of the atmosphere so it it tends not to generate a dangerous fire Uh everybody thinks of the von Hindenburg is it as the reason you know the hydrogen thing well if the fire if the hole in the von Hindenburg had been at the top it probably just would have collapsed and maybe the fire would have shot out the top but you know it's it's hydrogen is a is a, is a interesting molecule it, it, if you can store it safely then the hydrogen economy could take off. And again, store it, meaning that you don't want to put a huge compressed tank of hydrogen in your car because you need all the regulators, you need all the safety, you need all the tanks and all of this other kinds of stuff because it's a gas, and a very, very small gas. And because it's very, very small in size, it leaks readily, so all the seals have to be special and everything else like that. So the so hydrogen. Now, prop- I think we could finish up some of the pieces on the hydrogen, and uh, I mean, one of the things I hope you want to talk
0: about is fracking.
1: Okay, and let's because- go on to that next. Then can we? Can we? Can I
0: ask you a question on the hydrogen? Sure, that's what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, uh, okay. Um, one of the things I, I I happen to know a little bit, but very little, which means it's deadly and, and probably silly, <laughs> is that Formula One cars use incredibly high octane fuel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. And the way they stop them from exploding is they put them in some kind of a foam. So the fuel tank has, a, has a, within it um, like a, a sponge that stops yep. it, but it also still flows through at incredible speed and pressure. Isn't mm-hmm. that the way, the sort of things that are going to have to happen with hydrogen, so that it's, it's in smaller quantities rather than one great big mass of volatility?
3: Yeah,
2: well, that's exactly, that's the storage medium. Um, people have worked on, again, when I was at Brookhaven, people were working on hydride storage. These are like uh, metals that you can think of your phone. The hydrogen, again, is so small if you get into the interstitucies between the individual metal atoms and form these hydrides, so it could store hydrogen. We can use carbon, specialized uh, carbon, uh, you know, almost like carbon nanotube type materials
0: to so store hydrogen. Would, work, would it?
2: Excuse me. Would graphene work, yeah, well, people are looking at graphene to, to do it, and they 're looking at modified graphenes to do it, and people are looking in these areas for way of storing hydrogen as hydrogen so that it comes out as hydrogen. Wow. One of the better ways to store hydrogen though is in the form of two different chemicals: one of the chemicals is methanol. you can take methanol and easily convert it. Uh, rather than uh, and use it with water and you could take methanol plus water and so now this is going back to what I was trying to say to to um, to uh, a bill that you get the hydrogen from the water as well as getting the hydrogens from the methanol with much milder conditions than if you try to electrolyze the water so even though you need methanol to get it going you get a lot more hydrogen out, and it's a lot better than trying to just electrolyze water and to get the same amount of hydrogen. But you got to make the
3: electrolyzing water though, Rich. It's never. It's. It's. You're right. It's not energy efficient. I know there are people out there working on different uh, techniques right now that think they're getting mm-hmm. much closer to an even exchange. And I guess the thing is, if you can do it through some using some other renewable source. To provide the energy, you're basically taking an electric or a heat-based energy, and you're converting it into a fuel-based energy. So there's that advantage because we need the fuel. Oh no, no, I I, I agree with you completely.
2: Right, and that's and that's where it's going to go to with this hydrogen thing. So you're right, in in in, Chris, in the sense of yes, some type of foam, and people are actually looking at that to hold hydrogen. They're looking at chemicals to hold hydrogen, methanol being one, the other one being ammonia because you can break apart ammonia back into nitrogen and the hydrogen but I believe the long term are going to be things like the work that's going on in Switzerland right now by a guy named Michael Gretzel why are they looking at solar generated Basically, photovoltaics that makes make hydrogen. They take these oh, these, wow. these solar like a photovoltaic material. They put it in the solution. Shine the light on it. The light generates the electricity, and that electricity is what splits the water. So, to me. Wow. If that gets turned into, and yeah, that's why those kinds of things should be exciting. Those kinds of things yeah. should be where we're sub- submitting funding, because that is that's the hydrogen solution that I think Bill was referring to. That's why I want to be careful. I, I want I want to show you that 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 what Bill was saying sometimes gets said, and they're talking about today's technology. This is. 50 years from today. What Gretzel's doing, you know, people forget the photovoltaic cell was developed in 1960 at about 16% efficiency by Bell Laboratories. We're in 2014, soon to be 2015, and guess what? The efficiency has really not improved worth a damn. So, what Gretzel is working on now. I hope has a lot of promise I I, uh, I know him and I think his work should be honored around the world uh, for what he's doing because he's trying to be get away from whatever would be the mainstream of doing these kinds of things so to me that's an exciting uh, way to go towards uh, in terms of hydrogen
0: sounds it so Rich, I, I have, have one
3: question last question Oh, sorry, Bill. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, no, please go ahead. Uh, you know, Rich, we we've, we've been talking to a lot of people recently. You know, who are, you know, I, who are involved with nanotechnology, and and basically in terms of structuring the the flow structure for the for, for energy for electricity, and this is really really promising. At least from what I can see, I don't think they've they've gotten where they need to yet with their research, but it has a lot of promise what's your exposure with that? Have you had any exposure? Have you been talking to people about uh, nanostructures in terms of transmitting the energy so that we get higher efficiencies for things like photovoltaics?
2: Well, well, I haven't worked specifically on those, but yeah, I'm familiar with nanotechnology. And uh, it's really interesting when when uh, it, it, it got the name nanotechnology because for some guys I knew, by the way, that came out of Toronto. But the... Uh, I used to know it as aerosol physics <laughs> because nanoparticles, in a lot of ways, are aerosols. And so, uh, I, I uh, the, the uh, I've had a long term interest in sized particles. I'm very mixed feeling about them because I don't know as much, so I really don't want to talk that much. But it looks as though in many cases. When you have nano size, you have, of course, increased area. And increasing the surface area of anything that works as a catalyst or as electrolytic surface, which is usually a catalyst, improves those those materials, improves those uh, activities, I should say. But how much can you use and how much is there? How long do they last? These kinds of things will have to be addressed also the whether there are dangers affiliated with uh, certain nanoparticles I mean a nanoparticle that can be used to cure cancer because it gets into the cell would mean that that same nanoparticle if it got on me should be able to get into my regular cells as well so um, I just don't know, and, and that's why I say I don't want to step on the toes of the people there. I'm controversial enough, so I don't need to get into trouble with those guys.
1: Okay.
0: I have one question for you, for you, Rich. It goes, and then I'll keep quiet for a minute. What are, what is the chances of having some form of? Um, are you, I'm not sure what. Say say it was Bluetooth energy transfer to. LED lights in homes because that would be a huge way of being able to um, redistribute the uh, energy into a light and such like.
2: And, and again I, I I don't know much about that topic in terms of the science of it but I do know people are working on that and that is something that they would like to do again that gets rid of the wires it gets rid of all copper needs and whatnot and people are working on that so is it possible the answer is yes um, are there are there breakthroughs in that area the answer is yes that's so why I say I'm an optimistic scientist I think someday somebody will find uh, enough breakthroughs in that area so that we will be able to do that so you won't have to have wires in your house or anything else you'll have you'll have this whatever it is receiver on your uh, item and wherever you bring it there it will receive power because there'll be some centralized uh, power distribution now how do we charge people for that and do some of these other things I don't know I mean I, I stay away from that that's why I say scientists don't get shouldn't get involved in the politics the government or any of that kind of stuff you know well, let us do like I said let us find the solutions and help cure some of the ignorance and maybe help people out of poverty but when it comes to how to go about doing it uh, not us
1: <laughs> yeah well, <I> appreciate <laughs> Chris, your about,
3: I'm sorry Chris what you were asking about is basically mm-hmm. Tesla style uh, you know electrical distribution there's actually uh, one of his towers or his only remaining towers in uh, in Long Island I'm not sure of the uh, exact village it's not too far from Brookhaven but uh, you know rocky point there's, I there's a lot of that. research being done <laughs> right there's a lot of research being done in the area of dark energy and that's a byproduct of dark matter most people you know you say that they have no idea what you're talking about they think it's sci-fi but the truth is is 95% of the matter in the universe we don't see it's sort of like the dust that trails between the stars and the comets and the galaxies as they expand. But they all that's all charged energy. And with Tesla, and I don't know how he knew this back at the turn of the uh, 20th century, but had the understanding that there are ways to tap into that energy. You know, so when you see uh, you know, Luke Skywalker you know, saying, let the force be with you, <laughs> you know, the force is basically all of that dark matter that we don't see. But he sensed it was there, and that's where the majority of energy in the in the universe lies. So, being able to tap into that and figuring out ways through toroidal energy fields or whatever to be able to hook into that energy is going to be a critical step in our evolution in terms of the way we relate to energy. And I don't think we're that well, far you, away from it. I think that people are on the cusp right now. One yeah, thing I, that I, I, I really
1: appreciate—I really appreciate about you, Richard, and and what you just said. Um, Bill, is that, you know, being an old Star Trek person, do you remember when they used to have their tricorders or they just tap Mm -hmm. on something and their computer would, you know, they'd be able to talk to it? Well, we're doing that now. You know, hey, Siri, can you uh, set up an appointment for me? And Siri does it. You know, so the realm of imagination is a wonderful place for all of these problems to be solved. And I think it's very, very possible. And I got to say that sometimes this whole topic can be a little full of too much dark matter in terms of, you know, it can be kind of just So so, so Let's
2: let's get it away from that dark matter and, and put it into a person. Okay, there is an MIT. I think he's an MIT gradu, uh, 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 professor or a former professor, or whatnot, who was the uh, MacArthur Genius winner his name yeah. is Marin I think it's solely he's the guy working on his wireless power stuff you could probably yeah. look him up and find out some stuff he's I'm sure he's up in Massachusetts but he's considered a genius in this free-range electrons and whatnot and yeah he, he gives a lot of it to uh, Nikola Tesla uh, to uh, as, as part of his driving force and and why that that uh, that bill mentioned but it but it goes it goes to show you like like that this stuff is going on uh, you know it's an inductive coupling of power uh, so it, it's it's cool and so yeah. you know I pay attention to this stuff so so like what I did just now that popped open my computer and I knew I had something in here on that and I didn't go on the internet I, I knew I had something that I was looking at and sure enough his name is in there so I hope I'm pronouncing it right and if he's listening I'm sorry if I did but uh, you know, he, he's I hope he's listening <laughs> to you guys but you know he was a MacArthur genius and he got this grant mm-hmm. because of this the fact that he's doing these kinds of things and so these people are there you know yeah. uh, and 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 so um, and I wish kids today said you know when they asked them the question who is your hero instead of them answering you know uh, you know Mickey Mantle or Alex Rodriguez or mm-hmm. you know I'm Mickey, Mickey Mantle because when I was a kid that was what I might have said but you know we pick up sports stars or we say whatever they would know about somebody like him
1: yeah well one of my favorite quotes is by Albert Einstein he says uh, everything is energy and that's all there is to it match the frequency of the reality you want and you cannot help but get that reality it can be Mm -hmm. no other way this is not philosophy this is physics so if we can imagine you know uh, you know if we can imagine Cordless or wireless transfer of energy. Yeah, why can't it happen? Yeah. But of course
0: it can. So, <clears throat> so I, I have one the- last question on this. No, no, it, yeah, not,
2: okay. Go
0: ahead. Um, When when Bill was talking about the rice and and talking to it and it it performed okay, and then you <laughs> were angry with it and it sort of got all upset and and um, you know threw a fit. Um, here's here's a thought. If the energy is all around us. The plants are obviously connecting to that energy. So at mm-hmm. some point in time, someone's going to go, oh, if we connect the plants to the energy and then get something out from the other side, and really, isn't that something that we should be looking at as well? And people are looking at that. And you see, <laughs> that's what I'm going to tell you. Um,
2: oh, gosh, again, I'll, I'm there is there there's this somebody who's been working uh, again people are often surprised because I say with the military and they're not working for sinister reasons the military <laughs> has done a lot of really good things as long as along with their bad things um, working to uh, harness the energy within the body as an example to help soldiers so they don't have to carry as much equipment. Now, when I say a soldier, you think of oh, it's to have his gun and whatnot. But you know, in some cases, that soldier is somebody who's involved in running a bulldozer or doing some of these other things to help sure. uh, to help sure. go in a emergency situation. And so they need power in, in a quickie way. So they're developing ways of using the energy from the body. In fact, I had a crazy idea, which is uh, a long time ago, which is now being looked at you okay. Um, where your body sugar actually can generate electricity within your body and you use that to run uh, basically the equivalent of a small uh, glucose fuel cell and to run a pacemaker. And I had that idea when my son was in graduate school in, in biochemistry and um, so because we were talking about this, how pacemakers needed these batteries and whatnot. And I said, boy, you know, they should be able to use the, the body itself. Well, now we're doing that. So, I mean, so, so what you just talked about, we're doing. Maybe on a small scale, well, and but and again, I go back.
3: Movie, the movie, the Matrix is based on that. Basically, people are plugged in and it's used by batteries, by the machines. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I mean, it's such an idea. It's a great idea.
1: Right.
3: And, uh, you know, your point's really well taken, Rich.
2: Yeah. So these, these things, they may sound wild. It, it's, but people, what's, what's happened is I, I don't think people... Try to listen to the argument all the way through to do something. Just today on Lincoln, somebody said, you have to answer this. And somebody sent out an article uh, today on Lincoln that talked about the fact that they want to stop the people in the Amazon from... uh, uh from you know chopping it down basically. And so they're coming up with these proposals to um basically pay for these environmental services. All right. And this is this just came out in the Journal of Environmental Protection. I'm looking at it now. April two thousand fourteen. So somebody, one of my friends said, Oh, you have to look at this thing. And and basically, we know that chopping down the Amazon for the last 40 years has been extremely harmful to the environment. We know that. Um, And um, so we say, you know, what are we going to do? How do we stop these? So what they want to do, the answer that they always come out with is crazy answers to me. We want to pay these people to not do this. Well, I don't think that's the right way to do it. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, let's give them money and all of this kind of stuff like that. But why don't we do a trading? Um, um, there's, there's, a, there's a fellow called Alan Savaroy who has a, a, a wonderful idea in my mind that nobody listens to. And that's why it bothers me. He's saying that if you look at the world um, uh, as, from as a scientific view from, from space and you look at um, the, the, where CO2 is taken up, you see this huge amount in the Amazon. Well, the other huge amount that is taken up by happens to be farmland that we, mostly in places like the United States, Argentina, and all of these rich farmlands around the world. They convert CO2 into corn, into wheat, or whatever. They're the only thing that's better than that, is the swamp. Swamp is really good at sucking up CO2, but the swamp also happens to generate methane. So there's a positive and negative here. So here we have we know that farmland when grasslands are converted to farmland, that's a great way of sucking up CO2. So why don't we trade these people that, are, that say to them, look, you don't chop down the trees in the Amazon because you want to want to farm here and you, you you're trying to make food. What if we instead we give you food from another part of the world where we encourage them to make to take their grassland and convert it into farmland, and that farmland becomes sucks up CO two, but whatever wheat and whatever they grow there that's what we pay these people with or that's what we trade back to these people we give them food we give them some substance and they become interconnected that way so the people in the Amazon become interconnected with people in Africa you have a lot less wars that way too so I mean it's a, I know it's a very controversial kind of concept and a kind of a weird opinion but Savaroy's idea of converting um, this wasteland where you know the, the antelope and the, and, the, and the, you know the zebra run right now into gigantic areas of productive farmland has incredible impact potential in a positive way and nobody is no. looking at it. He's laughed at I mean he's an English you know I, kind I of guy yeah that, but
3: he's not being laughed at anymore. I mean he's actually widely respected I mean the guy's brilliant but he learned yeah, through, no. you know he learned through making his mistakes also. I mean, he right. was responsible, you know, one point, uh, what did he say, he's responsible for, uh, I, I believe we're talking about the same guy, uh, managing uh, elephant stocks in southern right. Africa. And he thought they were destroying the environment, and then they called the, the, the uh, elephants, only to find out that really the best thing for the environment is lots of grazing animals, because it's, yeah. their, it's their effluent, it's their, you know, it's what they discharge from their bowels that provide the nutrients for the soil and once you remove them from the ecosystem they turn into deserts when you put them back in those those deserts become green grasslands again mm-hmm. you know and but what you're suggesting i i think is a great idea rich but then you run into other issues with with water which is a, a major problem oh, no. right now but that, but, that's, but that but an increasing
2: and i think their solution's going to come for that you see because i think Solar being used, solar thermal being used to quote distill water is is going right. to happen right. and should happen, and I think that the world has a lot of natural gas, and this will be a lead into the to the controversial topic and I think using building gas plants that generate certain amounts of power but at the same time do things like distill water so you get fresh water in areas of the world that have that natural gas makes a lot of sense I think trading CO2 from the burning of the natural gas for fresh water that keep people alive as well as uh, make farmlands, uh, you know, which suck up CO2 uh, uh, around the world, is is a good trade-off. Yep.
1: All right. Thanks, This is Ann Miller and Chris Coop.